As you think about power and and influence over us, one of the things that many times does have greater power, greater influence, even ensnares and entraps us, are our desires. The very things that bring us pleasure, whether momentary or long-term, whether they're good or bad, whether they're short-term or long, the, the desires that we have, whether they're of God or they're not of God, many times they have a gripping, ensnaring, uh, even handcuffing power over us to where we live and die for them. And uh, not just speaking in some kind of hyperboles today, but I want you to remember three words, okay? Write these three words at the top of your papers and just remember them because I'm going to ask you to filter your desires through these words. The word of preoccupation, the word ritualization, and the word compulsion. Now, let me just break these down real quickly. These three words can describe how our desires function inside of us and how many times when they grip us and tangle us and snare us, it's because these three elements are being played out. Preoccupation. Absolutely, you're thinking about it. In all of the white space of your life, you think about it. You go to bed and it's the last thought on your mind. It's the first thought on your mind when you wake up in the morning. There is a preoccupation with this desire, fill in the blank, all right? And again, could be a good desire, could be a bad desire. In fact, many of the desires that we have that ensnare us are actually good desires. We're not talking about moral or immoral, ethical or unethical. We're talking about pure and simple human nature desires, but they become a preoccupation for us to where that's what we think about in all the spare time and all the spare space of our minds. That's where we go. Then there's the ritualization. What happens is we begin to develop habits, patterns, where we circle back around to these things. There are desires in us, the desires that we play with, the desires that we do, the desires that we eat, the desires that we consume, the desires that we watch, and we just kind of keep circling back around to them, and we can't stop it. They're there, which leads to the word compulsion. They become compulsive to us. Literally, they eat your life. You cannot say no. Now, the thing about back on the ritualization, if if your spouse or somebody in your life tells you, hey, you know what, you may have a problem in this area, your first response is an emotional, no, it's not. It's not true. I can stop that at any moment. I could pick this up at any moment. I'm doing this for you. I'm working so hard. I'm working 70 hours a week for the family. We just want you. We don't want all that you're working for. Again, there's this whole tension that comes with desires that we find ourselves in this loop. Now, again, I want to say there's good and there's bad. There's moral and immoral, ethical, unethical. And I'm not even talking about the bad stuff right now. All right. So work can be one of those. We become preoccupied with work. We become ritualistic with work. Okay, I'm there at 6 and I leave at 6. Or I'm there at 5.30 and I leave at 7.30. Or whatever it may be. You, We become, again, preoccupied, ritualistic, and compulsive. I've got to beat the, the competitors. Work can become a desire that we have that can overwhelm us. And we can become addicted to it in a bad way. Play. Hobbies. Some people are more concerned about their 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 tea times and 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 their no not this kind of tea times not what I'm talking about uh, but the tea times and their golf scores they know more about that than they do a lot of the things in their in their faith and in their in their kids' lives. Again, hobbies can become a, a dangerous thing. Relationships. 
preoccupied, ritualistic, again, compulsive in our relationships, gaming, computer gaming. Again, if you don't turn it, turn it off or help parents help turn, have the kids turn it off, then all of a sudden they're gaming at it. Shopping and spending can become a desire that can become very nasty in us. Not even shopping. Sometimes there's an adrenaline push just to spend. There's a dopamine drip just in spending money, even if you don't have it. Even if you know the repercussions, that's what happens whenever there's this addictive element that comes into our desires and all of a sudden we can't spend enough and we find thrill and excitement, power, winning, sex. We talked about that a few weeks ago, about unnatural sexuality, about unbridled sexuality. I'm just saying it to you like this, any sexuality expression outside of a husband and a wife, a man and a woman coming together forever in marriage, it's just less than what God designed it to be. And so again, getting into those elements, we're not going to dive too deep. But even in this series of messages, some of y'all have had epiphanies, realizations that, hey, you know what? I've got an idol in my life. I've got desires that have got control of me, and I no longer have control of them. And you really got to think about that for a moment. I got an email this week from a dear church member, and she gave me the permission to read her email to you. I want to read this email to you. And many of y'all could maybe even insert the same addictive element. And by the way, these three words that I just asked you to write down, I got those from a psychology book on addiction, all right? The reality is those elements, whether it's alcohol or porn or money or winning or success or whatever else you want to put in the blank, those are the same qualities of an addictive personality. She, she wrote me this email, and I want to read it to you. She says, I've discovered something. It's actually something I've known for a while, but it's really, it really, but it, it, it didn't really resonate with me until this desire series. My idol, fill in the blank, is TV. I know it's silly. How can something as small and insignificant like a TV be an idol? She goes on to elaborate in the story in her email just about how much television she watches. How's the last thing that goes off in the home? How's the first thing that comes on in the morning? All the programming and the programming on the DVR. And one of the great, most awesome inventions to television addiction is the DVR. And how you can watch all your programs when you want to watch them and you don't have to miss them. And you do it on your time schedule and you can fast forward the commercial. But this is her own epiphany. This is her own confession, if you will, of an addiction that becomes an idol in our life. She goes on to say, for me, TV is worse than any drug or alcohol. That's a bold statement, but it's true. You know you have a problem when you bite your husband's head off because the messed up, because he messed up the DVR and it didn't record five minutes of your show. Seriously? Seriously. The reality is that, again, you could have written that same email and said the same thing and put your own addictive element desire in there. As we wrap up this series today, I really want to go out of here, and I wish I could hit every single addictive element that's out there. I wish I could talk about all of them. And another one that, that again, we're kind of moving into that, into that time of year where we have to be very careful. Though it's a year-round problem, food is another addictive element where a lot of people gain comfort from food. A lot of people use it as their therapy. 
we're going into the most, uh, in, in, into the next two months, we will, there'll be more weight gained in the next two months than, than there will be over the other ten months combined. Now that's my hypothesis, but I believe it to be true. It's been true in my life anyway. When you start with Thanksgiving this week, and we go and we indulge and we and we pig out, in other words, uh, this this week. And then after that, what do we have? We have a month long list of Christmas parties to go to. We've got company parties, we've got team parties, we've got uh, neighborhood parties, we've got small group parties. We all these Christmas parties that are just going to pile higher and deeper everything that we're consuming. And then it comes Christmas time. And that week, what do we do? We have to make room for everyone, and everyone has a meal. And so you have to schedule those meals and you go to those meals. And depending on how blended your family is, then you may hit several homes in one single day. And so as you do this, you think, okay, finally the new year, new year's resolution. No, you have new year's Eve and you got to celebrate the new year like everyone else. And so what do you do? You dive into a bowl of guacamole and, 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 and chips and salsa. And, uh, and then what? Bowl games, an entire week's worth of bowl games that you can watch and eat and feast. But it it doesn't end there. It's not until the first week of February, whenever we have finally Super Bowl. And studies have found that there are more nachos served on Super Bowl Sunday than any other single day of the year. And then finally, we can't fit into our Christmas clothes that we just got, so now we're in a mess, and now we go on a diet. But see, the problem is, is that food becomes an addictive element. In fact, the Scripture even mentions in Philippians chapter 3, verse 19, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Addictive elements. We all have them. We all have desires that can take us down and destroy us and wrap themselves around us. If you go to a person who's gone through AA, they will talk about the 12-step program. And in that 12-step program, they will give you step number one, and this is what they will say. Step number one, or confession number one, is that we admit that we are powerless over our addiction, whatever that addiction is. We are powerless over our addiction that our lives have become unmanageable. I want to propose to you today that there's some in this room, there are many in this room, and well beyond this room, that are powerless over their desires. Their desires control them. Their desires, their, their want, their thing, their, 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 their hobby, their love, their success, their, their win, their whatever it is, their power, their influence, whatever it is, fill in the blank, that is what drives them and gets them out of bed in the morning. And we have to be so careful of that. I've been looking for a place to finally put this passage in the, in, into the message. First John chapter two, verse 15 to 17. Uh, very, maybe a familiar passage of scripture to you, but it's absolutely appropriate for this uh, series of messages. Do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, John had a way with words. He put it straight out there. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. He mentions three things there. He said, is not from the Father, but from the world. The world is passing away and also it's lust. Three different times he uses this one word lust again and again and again. Now if you really zero in on verse 16, you'll find that he mentions those three things. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, number one, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. 
And then he says, these lusts are passing away. What is it about these things? These three big bucket items are the three big bucket items that we've been talking about for the past several weeks. And you can see them line up exactly with where we have been. Lust of the flesh, sex and pleasures. That natural desire of our flesh that God gave us for sexuality, but when we do it unbridled and when we do it unnatural, when we do it our own way, then we are doing it according to the lust of the flesh. We need to harness that in. We need to get some guidelines and some parameters, some moral code out there, if you will, and walk by it and live by it. The lust of the eyes, money and possessions. There's a lot of desire for more and more and more. And if you've got it and it's shinier and brighter and bigger, bigger and faster than what I've got, then I want what you got. And all of a sudden my eyes are longing for those things that are out there. John Muir, who was uh, instrumental in uh, conservation across our land and instrumental in Yellowstone National Park coming into existence and uh, was an influential man. But one time he made a bold statement that the reporters kind of pushed back on. He made a statement about a, a man who was a, who was a very wealthy man in, in the land. His name was E.H. Harriman. E.H. Harriman was the man who was laying a lot of the, a lot of the railroad tracks in the railroad industry and c- getting goods across the American land. Uh, uh, back in, in, in our founding days. And it was a very wealthy man. But John Muir made this statement. He said, because I have, uh, he said, I'm richer than, than E.H. Harriman. And the reporter pushed back on him. He said, because I have all the money I want and he doesn't. See, the difference in being rich and being poor is not how much money do you have, but do you have enough? And if you don't quite yet have enough, then you're probably feeling pretty poor. But when you reach that level of, hey, God, you provided for me, you've blessed me, thank you, I don't have to have any more, then you've got a control over those lust of the eyes, or you're at least on your way. All right? Life principle for you, to whom little is not enough, nothing is enough. All right? Get that down. And then also the pride of life is the power and pride that we've, we so much battle in this world of power and influence and promotion and hierarchy and chains of command. We want to have more and more and more. And it comes down to the word lust. He used it again and again three different times in this passage. And it comes down to that one word is a Greek word that is used throughout the New Testament over 70 different times. Epithuomai is the Greek word. And you find it here in John's writing. This epithuomai means lust, means desires, means this insatiable part of us that I gotta have it, I wanna have it, I can't get it, I gotta get to it. Epithuomai, I want you to remember, you're gonna hear me say it a lot today. In Romans chapter 1, when we shared a few weeks ago from Romans chapter 1, we even shared where it says that God gave them over to their lust, epithuomai, He gave them over to their lust, to the hearts, to impurity. There are times whenever our epithuomai is so great and so overwhelming and God's saying, no, 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 you're going to hurt yourself. No, 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 come over here. This is a better track for you. And we, our epithuomai is so much in control that God goes, okay, it's yours. You can have it. You can go for it. He turns us over 
He doesn't give up on us, but he turns us over to it to let that sin, let that, that lust, that epithelomite run its course. All right? Peter even spoke of it. So John spoke of it. Paul spoke of it. And now we find another time where Peter spoke of it. And he warns us. Peter warns us and says, listen, you don't want your epithelomite to conform you. He says, do not be conformed to the desires. Do you realize that the desires that you have, the lust that you have, the epithelomite that you have, they can literally begin to shape your life? You will, you will make, you'll make life decisions. You'll make career moves. You'll make relationships. You'll see people throw away a marriage because they could not control their epithelomite for some kind of dream of a relationship over there. Beware of your desires that you do not become conformed to them. Because as this epithelomite begins to take over and begins to take shape and begins to take ownership of who we are, no longer are they our desires. Our desires are now controlling us and we are just the body that they are living them out. It's a bit of a fearful scare there. In fact, Peter even uses in Second Peter the word of escaping them, like you're a prisoner to them. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, he says, Escape from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful epithelomite. Escape. It's the idea of being imprisoned in shackles, enslaved to something. What was the something? The something was the epithelomite. I think you're getting the picture. You're shaped by them. You're controlled by them. You're, you're fashioned by them. They become a part of you. You begin to get really stupid with your decisions. I've said this 101 times. We are all one decision away from stupid. And most of the time, what drives the stupidity of our life is the epithelomite, where we do not allow it we allow it to control us. Todd Hunter, I said this in the very first week. I want to come back and read it. Read it. Our desires are the core problem when it comes to temptation and that giving into our desires only worsens our plight. Satan knows this and conspires to keep us embattled. You might even say entrapped. On all fronts, poking and stoking our desires in his effort to get us to fall. Mike, I get it. I've got a desire problem. I get it. I can't say no. I'm in a compulsive pattern of rituals. I'm obsessed. I can't stop thinking about it, filling it. The answer. And what I'm about to tell you, some of you are going to immediately go like this and wipe it off as just a church cliche. But I cannot be any more real with you. I can't tell you about my own failures and not tell you that the only way I have found victory is in what I'm about to share with you. The only way I've ever found lasting victory is in what I'm about to share with you. The answer to this desire, epithelomai, obsession and control is in a deep and personal and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And what He can do in the situation if we allow Him. Let me just show this to you because if you have your Bibles and you look at Second Peter, which is where we were just reading from, and you find there at the last part, he says, Escape from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. But let's go back up to verse 2. If you look at verse 2, it says, May... 
Uh, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, everything he's going to say in the next few verses, he's going to use a lot of hymns and his and, and so forth. So what is the antecedent to hymns and hisses and those pronouns? It is Jesus Christ, the very last proper noun that was used. So we're referring all this back to Jesus Christ. Now, what is it? Verse 3. His, Jesus Christ, divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him, who's him? That's Jesus Christ who called us to His, Jesus Christ, own glory and excellence by which He, Jesus Christ, has granted to us His, Jesus Christ, precious and very great promises. So that, here's the purpose statement, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped, yes, I'm finally free from my desires, being held captive to them from the corruption that is in them in the world and sinful desires. What is it that brings us victory? God's exit strategy, if you will, to desires. God's escape hatch to desires is, number one, is draw on Christ's power. Draw on Christ's power. I said, Jesus Christ is going to be the answer, so we're going to have to draw on His power. What's His power? He mentions it there in the very first part of verse 3. His divine power. It's not Peter's power. It's not my power. It's not go talk to the preacher. The preacher will come up with answers. It's not go to talk to the priest and three Hail Marys. And and that's not a football Hail Mary. The the prayer Hail Mary. Mary, and, And you'll all of a sudden be okay. No. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I love this statement. This is such an epiphany moment. When you read this and you realize you as a follower of Jesus Christ in a personal, intimate, powerful relationship with Jesus Christ, you have everything you need for what? Life and godliness. Everything. You're missing nothing. It's not, well, you know what, Mike? If I had the theological education you had. Well, if I had the beautiful wife that you had, I'd never be lusting after another woman. Or some of you might be saying that if, if, if my husband was as caring and sensitive as that man, then I wouldn't be in an emotional relationship with this other man. And some people think if I had a job, just one more promotion, then that will get me to where I need to be. If I could make just $15,000 more, then I would be content. That's the answer to my contentment. No, it's not. And hopefully you've got it by now. Having more of what you've already got is not going to fill the need of what you still want. You have everything you need in Jesus Christ for life and godliness. Everything. Colossians chapter 2 verse 10 says, You are complete in Him. It is not Jesus plus. It's not Jesus and. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. And if we will draw from His power, if we will tap into His power, then we will have the power to say no to those tempting desires. We'll be able to say no and walk away from them. That's why I wanted wanted Jerry to sing the song just before I got up. The, The same power that conquered the grave lives in you. I want you to sing it. I want you to say it. Because when you walk out of here, you're going to be tempted. 
And when that temptation's come, the little, little voice in the head's going to say, just give in. You deserve it. Go for it. Don't be accountable. Don't give up. See, when we come to this passage, we cannot miss the power that is ours is in Christ and it is already in you and I. Now, some of you all know I drive a Jeep. And uh, I like a Jeep because it gives me the feel like I'm still kind of in Africa, all right? But just on asphalt, clear, good roads, all right? So I feel like I'm kind of in Africa, kind of, sort of. Um, and then yesterday in all the rain and all that kind of stuff, I kind of pushed it maybe a little too far and I got stuck. All right. Now it's never cool to be in a Jeep, get stuck. All right. And so here, I, especially if you only knew where I was and I got stuck, I actually only had one tire stuck, but I couldn't get unstuck even though one tire was off in the, in, in, in a stuck spot and the rest of my tires were on asphalt. I still could not get my four wheel drive Jeep unstuck. I was in two-wheel drive at first, and I kind of rocked back and forth, and I tried to get loose, and it didn't work. So I put it in high four-wheel drive, and so I got four wheels all all turning at the same time. I should be able to get out of this. High four-wheel drive, couldn't budge. I was already late. I was I had arrived at where I was going. It was raining outside. I was late to get into that meeting, and so I was like, okay, what am I going to do here? And so uh, I called, I have, I have this record service, so I called this record service, and I was already embarrassed by the fact that I'm in a four-wheel Jeep with three of my tires on asphalt, and one of my tires stuck, and I'm calling for a record service. I explained it to the record guy exactly what's going on. He said, oh, you don't need a record, you just need a winch. I thought, that's even more of an insult now. Now, I, I don't even know I need a full-blown record, I just need a winch. You know, so I'm just needing a little thing like that to get me out. Uh, and so anyway, I go into the restaurant, finish, finish that meeting, walk outside, still no. He says it's going to be 60 minutes before he gets there. So I go wait in the car. There's only so much Candy Crush you can play on your phone. And finally I think, you know what? Surely I am in a Jeep. I can get out. So I put it in low four. And I popped that sucker out of that hole, and in no problem, I was moving again. Immediately turned around and called the record service, said, hey, you're not here yet. Hey, by the way, I don't need you anymore because my Jeep got me out. All right? And so I was pretty proud of the Jeep, had the Jeep on the top, and said, thank you, sorry I cussed you, and all that kind of stuff whenever I couldn't get out. The realization is it, was, it wasn't the Jeep. It was the nut behind the wheel that was the, that was the problem. My Jeep had all the power it needed to get me out, to keep me from getting unstuck. Now, I could get myself stuck, but I had enough power to get out and to keep me from being stuck. You and I all have enough power because we have the divine power of God in us through Jesus Christ that we have enough power for life and godliness. It's only the nut behind the steering wheel that needs some help. If you know Jesus Christ and you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, all I can tell to you is you have enough for whatever circumstances you're going to face and for whatever life is going to throw at you, for whatever desire that you is all-consuming in your heart right now, you have enough if you will tap into Jesus to power through that. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. Second thing, how are we going to get through this? Number two, is that we live in Christ's nature. Now again, this may seem a little bit twilight zony, a little bit mysterious, a little bit whatever. I get it. Because there's really not a clear word for this. 
There's really not a clear description of this in our, in our vernacular that can kind of put it, put it down. But if you notice that he called us to something, he called us, it mentions in verse three, he called us to his own glory and excellence. So he's calling us to something. If God calls you somewhere, he's going to provide you, get you there. All right. Where God guides, he provides. And if he's calling you to excellence, if he's calling you to his glory, if he's calling, and that word excellence is actually translated in some translations, virtues. If he's calling you to these virtues, then he's going to help get you there. We have been called, it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, called out of darkness into his marvelous light. So why do we continue to struggle over here in darkness when we have been called into light? That makes sense. Unless we're not living according to the nature that God has given us. We're living according to an old nature, a bad nature, a fallen nature, a broken nature. He says in verse 4, he says, we are partakers of his divine nature. When you're a follower of Jesus, you not only have, yes, the brokenness of our own life that we all wrap up, are all wrapped up in and all messed up. But there's something that happens. I'm going to call it the X factor here because I really don't even know know any other way to call it what it is. But he infuses into us. He puts into us an element of himself, a part of his being, call it the Holy Spirit, whatever. He gives us a new nature. So yes, we have the old broken nature that we still walk through and walk through life in. But we also are partakers of a divine nature. We are now... Without excuse, that train has left the station. We now have a new life, a new path, a new opportunity, and we've just talked about having a new power. That's why Paul said, when he was talking about his own life in in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he said, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet on I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live, I live, uh, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul's talking about, yes, I'm dead, but I'm alive. I'm alive, but I'm dead. There's, there's just two parts of going on inside of me. And the part that's going on inside of me is I want the new nature to guide me. I want the new nature to lead me. Not the fallen, broken part. I, I shared a message series. You heard me say this back in the first of the year. And I share from Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, where he tells us to walk by the Spirit. That's that new nature. That's that divine nature. Walk by the Spirit and you will what? You will not gratify the epithumai of the flesh. If you're walking in the Spirit, you will not promise, okay? You will not gratify the epithumai. You will not get into the lust and the lust get into you and control you. You will not be controlled by your desires because you have a new nature. I heard of a a missionary to the Native American community whenever America was still in its pioneer state and, and he was coming across the northeast down into the south and he was trying to do his best to share and win and influence many Native Americans to the Lord. And, uh, he was able. He was not there to cause dissension. He was not there to push them out of their land or anything like that. He just wanted to be one with them and walk with them and share Christ with them. And, and he did that. 
And he had some success stories. One of the success stories was he was able to lead a chief uh, ahead of an entire tribe of, uh, of Native Americans. And as he led him to the Lord, he this became this this Indian chief or Native American chief becomes a follower of Christ and walking with Christ in a beautiful way. And and then the, the missionary would go on to the next next town and the next village and the next tribe, and he would make his way. And then he'd circle back around. He came back one time to this to this one Native American chief. And that you could tell when he first met him, he said it was different. He said, I'm done. I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't continue to follow the way of Jesus in his own language, in his own broken English. And he said, why? Why? He said that. He said, there's a battle, there's a war, there's a fight that's going on inside of me. He says, it's like two dogs that fight one for this and one for that, one for, for, for the way of God and one for the way that I know, the way that I was raised, the way of my people. The missionary asked him, who wins? He said, the dog that I feed the most. You know, you have two natures. You have a broken, fallen nature. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've been born again, if you're in that relationship, you have a new nature. You are partakers of a new nature. Don't feed the old nature. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the epithuomai of the flesh. Number three, and I'm finished, and that is that that we will thrive in Christ's hope. That whenever we realize the power is in us, everything that we need for life and godliness is already in us, we realize that we have in our possessions that we are partakers of, partakers of the very nature of God. And then when we realize that God has a reservoir of promise and hope and future and life, in front of us, when we go with Him, that is what keeps us moving. That's what keeps us looking at, okay, this is what the flesh says, this is what the Spirit says, even though I really, 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 really want this, I'm going this way. It's only because of the promise that keeps you moving in that direction. There are over 2,000 promises in Scripture. Do you realize that? It's more than one a day. The thing is, is most of us come in here and are spoon-fed week after week, and we don't even open this book. Let me show you one of the promises. I read it the very first Sunday. All right? You might remember it. Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. And what will He do? He will give you the desires of your heart. Ooh, we've gone full circle now. We're back on desires. All of a sudden now when my heart's set on His and my heart's been redeemed and I have His power and I'm walking in His nature and I'm living on His promises and that's what's anchoring my life, all of a sudden now my delight is in Him and now all of a sudden it's not my desires against Him, it's my desires with Him and He's going to give me the desires of my heart. It's a beautiful thing. There's an element here that you can't walk away from. We're going to be even going into a new series of messages starting next week called The Promise. Because the word promise gives us a sense of hope. Everything about the Advent story is about promise. Leading into it, coming out of it, within it, and we're going to unpack it over the next few weeks. 
When you come to promise, are you living in the promises? And you look at this verse here in verse 4. He says, by, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. Why did He give them to us? Why? So that. Purpose statement. So that. Through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption. What's the corruption? That is of the world because of sinful desires. We are set free from the desires of this world. And, and, and you know, so many of the desires that we face, and so many of the temptations that we face, and so many of the yearnings that we face, so many of the longings that we have that are broken and corrupt of the old nature, When we act on them, I think we can all probably testify today that they leave us empty. I told you a few weeks ago about my own struggles and past. And and I can tell you right now, the only way I have victory is everything I just shared with you. Is when I live in His power, I walk in His nature, and I build my life on His promises. If I ever remove any of those pillars out, then I'm a crumbling house of cards. But whenever I would act out shame, which has come on me, when I would look at this and I would act out, shame would be on me. Talked to a friend of mine who I mentioned several weeks ago that God put in my life, and for a number of years we were in Bible study together, who he himself struggled with same-sex attractions. And we were having a real good heart-to-heart discussion, real transparent moment when I asked him. I said, and he'd been practicing, I should say, his desires for over a decade. I said, whenever you do that, what do you feel like at the end? Do you feel fulfilled? Do you feel complete? Do you feel like this is the way it's supposed to be? And with tear in his eyes, He said, Mike, I feel dirty. I feel shame. I feel regret. Every time we live on our own desires and natures, it will always sell short the fulfillment that we're looking for. When we walk in His power, when we walk in His nature, we build our life on His promises. We escape those worlds. We escape those temptations and we find fulfillment. Mike, you don't understand. I'm so consumed right now with desire and temptation. I can't get out. There's no way I can get out. I've dug a hole, a pit, a pattern. I am obsessed. I am preoccupied. I have, I have rituals and rhythms in my life. I have a verse for you. A promise to build your life on. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful. That's the promise. Second promise, He will not let you be tempted beyond your abilities. Third promise, but with the temptation, He will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure. You build your life on Jesus Christ. And maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're going to go into a response time. Now, first, before we go into that response time, I want us to go into a reflection time. As we wrap this series up, I want you to just go in yourself. You might need to write an email, much like my friend wrote me an email this week. 
You might need to do some writing, some hinge scratching on some stuff out right now. I am struggling with this desire. I am held captive. Satan is lying and lying and lying into my life. And I need freedom. I want to pray. And the band's going to come and they're going to sing over us. You're going to just remain seated. And then when they're through, we're going to have a response time. And we're, I've got some of my, my favorite prayer partners that will be gathered around the room. There will be some across the front. There will be some in that landing area back there. They'll have a, a orange lanyard on. You just go to them. Just You don't have to say anything other than say, I need prayer. I want to follow Jesus. I want to accept Christ, whatever the case may be. Let's pray together. Father God, we bow before you and we ask that in this room you'll take over the desires of our heart. You'll take over our passions, our distractions, our preoccupations. Set us free, Lord. Set us free. Don't let Satan, the accuser of the brethren, the deceiver, the manipulator, don't let him have control any longer, any longer.